Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And back on the show today is Sean Lashinsky. Now, to be totally fair, honest, transparent, whatever you want to call it, this is just a continuation of the last episode. Sean and I talked about a ton of different things, and I kind of clipped it to make it two different episodes because we transitioned right from moose hunting to mountain goat hunting. Now, there's going to be a ton of good information from this episode. Again, if if this is something that you're looking at doing, doing a high alpine hunt where maybe you're above tree line for a good portion of it, uh, going back to remote places where you don't have easy access to really anything, everything is hard work, and you might want to know what kind of gear you need or what the strategy is once you get up there, trying to find them initially, and then how do you put it stock on an animal like a mountain goat in some of the harshest terrain in North America. This is the episode for you. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. Sean is so lucky. I mean, to get a moose tag, have a year where he didn't even apply for anything. And then the very next year, get a mountain goat tag. It's insane. We're probably going to end up on a bighorn sheep hunt soon, like with the way that his luck is. But hopefully that luck starts rubbing off on me and maybe I draw a moose tag. Maybe I draw two moose. I wonder if anybody's ever drawn two moose tags in the same year. Because I'm currently in the running. Well, I applied. I say in the running. I've got like a 0.01% chance. But I've applied for Maine and Colorado. And so it is a very, very small possibility, but a possibility nonetheless that I could draw two moose tags. That'd be crazy. Anyways, let's jump into this episode. I'm super excited. Here we go. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. Yeah, the mountain goat hunt was a totally different animal. Like, just, just day one of hiking, not even getting to our destination... I was already like, man, we've been on a trail, like a heavily used trail this entire time, and it's already a ton of work. Like that was a that was a different ball game. What I mean, I I know, but for the listeners, what was the training like or the preparation like for the mountain goat hunt in comparison to the moose hunt? Um, I mean the moose hunt more than anything, it was scouting trips and I knew I didn't have to do anything to get in any better shape to hunt the moose. Um, but it was more 
I learned a lot about moose and just prepared mentally and stuff. Physically wasn't the worry. But the mountain goat hunt, the day I found out, I started putting on a pack with 40 pounds of weight in it. And I was walking five miles a day through town. And um, I mean, everybody would just laugh at me. All the neighbors would see me out there. And all the old timers that were hunters would say, what tag did you draw? And <laughs> we'd have little talks about it and everything. But yeah, I put five miles on a day for all three and a half months leading up to that hunt. And I still was wishing I would have trained at elevation and done some other things different. Zid's a whole nother animal to go from 4,000 feet or 5,000 feet here up to 13,000 feet. But it was a uh, pretty good time. I was definitely, in, I was ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. When you called me and said, Hey, you ready to help on a mountain goat hunt now? I was like, Oh crap. Like I'm back at 800 feet of elevation. And I had been back for almost a full year at that point. And I was like, dude, I'm going to be, no, I think I'd been back over a full year. And I was like, dude, I'm going to be struggling. So I did the same thing. I put 50 pounds in my pack the very first day, hit the road, hiked five miles, got back. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this every day leading up. And I did it a second day, but I had to take weight out because like, a day later, my whole body was hurting. I was like, dude, this is rough. Like that, that was too much weight to carry around in my pack on the first day, having not done this for a long time. And, uh, and then I get a call from the guy that we rented from and there was a neighbor lady. And so I'm, I'm right at the tail end of my five miles, right? I turned down our road. I've got my AirPods in, I'm listening to music, just kind of hiking. And I heard something. And so I like pull my AirPods out. And I'm looking around and I heard, or at least I think I heard, hey, where are you going? And so I start looking around. I don't see anybody. And I just kind of chalked it up as like some lady was talking to her husband. Like she saw him heading out and was like, hey, where are you going? So I finished my hike. Well, I get a call from the guy we rented from. And apparently this lady had seen me with my hunting pack and my binocular harness on my front because I kept uh, the first day I had seen a bunch of deer out in the field. And I was like, dang, I wish I brought my binos. And she called the police and said that there was a homeless man with a bomb strapped to his chest walking past her house. And luckily, I mean, they never pulled up on me. I don't know what came of it, but yeah, David ended up calling me and telling me all that. So that was all the training I did, uh, that that was the only two times that I went out. I just didn't make it happen after that. No excuses, but just didn't. It was what? definitely a lot of work to get ready for that one. Oh, yeah. You guys did how many? I mean, you only missed like a handful of days uh, yeah. doing that five-mile hike with all the weight in your pack. Yep. And Josh never did miss a day, I don't think. But him working from home, he'd have days where he could go out in the morning or something and get his hike in. Yeah. Yeah, the very first day I did it, I I uh, got blisters on my feet, and they were huge. So I had to get some different shoes and take a few days off, let that heal before I could get back into it again. But yeah, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, what what changed about 
uh, the moose hunt versus the mountain goat hunt gear wise, because obviously you're hunting different terrain. You're going to be glassing a lot farther in most cases. Um, what, what did you change about what you packed out there? Um, I, I got a new pack first of all, uh, that was definitely something I needed to upgrade anyways. So got a nice new pack and then I bought some crispy boots. They were a game changer. They were, uh, definitely a good investment for that hunt. Um, I, I bought a bunch of first light gear and that was definitely the way to go for that because man, when you're, when you're going to be in the same clothes for four or five days, you want them to be good gear and you want them to be lightweight so that if you're not wearing all your layers, they're going to be in your back and you're already carrying a week's worth of food and a, a spotter scope and binoculars and a rifle. So there's quite a bit to all of that that you need to, you know, the, I think, uh, I think when I went, my pack probably weighed 60 pounds when we left and we made sure to hurry up and eat some big meals and, <laughs> and lighten that pack up on day one. But yeah, when you're carrying a, well, I think we split the tent, right? You and I each. Yeah. Well, carry when part I, of it. so I got there and I had all my stuff. I had my jet boil and my water filter and my tent and all this different stuff. And we both completely unloaded our packs and we said, what do we have two of that we don't need two of? And so we ended up shedding a bunch of gear and just leaving it at your house. Yeah, uh, that was necessary too, man. Cause you know, when, if you're going with somebody just simply splitting your tent saying, Hey, you carry the pulse and I'll carry the, the canvas or whatever else is there helps everybody out, you know? And that I know that we just kind of planned on saying, Hey, we're, for the rest of the week, we're just camped together and share one tent and, and minimize the load on everybody. And so that helped out a bunch. Yeah, um, we, we said, we said that, uh, I think we left one of our jet boils left one of our water filters because we each had a water filter to start I think I left mine and then we knew that Josh also had one and we ended up using his and I actually just bought one of those. I bought one of those recently, that platypus. Oh my gosh, man. What a game changer to walk away from it, not worry. And gravity will do all the work for you. The, that works great, but I went on another mountain go hunt with him last year and it froze. Oh no. Yeah. It was a nightmare. So I'm back to using uh, my ultraviolet uh, sterilizer, the SteriPen. Yeah. Because with that, you know, as long as you can find running water, you can sterilize anytime, you know, and you don't have to worry about freezing or anything like that. But yeah, it got cold enough at 12,000 feet this last year that we were having to keep the water inside the tent with us to keep it a little warmer. But the first night we didn't know that it was going to be that cold and we hung it from the tree and figured we'd wake up to a bunch of water and next morning woke up and the whole, whole bladder was frozen solid. <laughs> Jeez. We, uh, I mean, we got lucky that the, uh, 
it was warm during the day. And so it thawed out and we got it to start moving again and we ended up being all right. But it had that been our only source of water, we could have been in a bad spot pretty quick. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that would have been that would have been rough. I mean, as far as mountain goat hunting goes, like you're starting out in a way worse position than when you go out moose hunting. Like where that first night that we camped, I think we were what a day or two days ahead of the hunt. We got up there early, got up in the mountains, and we got to this lake way back in the middle of nowhere. We were probably over ten thousand feet at that lake, weren't we? Yeah, I think it was. I think it's at twelve. Jeez, because it it's a, under the summit of a fourteener up there. Yeah, yeah, we got all the way up there, and I mean, just the difference in what you have to do in order to get into mountain goat country. Like we were hiking a thousand plus feet vertically every day and multiple miles just to get to spots where we could glass and hopefully try to find where the mountain goats were to make a play for opening morning. Yep. Yep. I think, uh, I think to get there, we were already eight and a half miles in and we, where we parked the truck, we were at 8,500 feet of elevation and where we camped that night was over 12. And then where we finally killed the mountain goat was over 13. So it was a long, grueling climb to get up to that lake. I mean, like you said, we woke up that morning. We went and had a nice breakfast before we went to the trailhead. I think that was a good game changer because we good calories and just to fuel up right before we leave. And I mean, that helped a bunch. But that put us on the trailhead a little later, which we weren't really fighting the clock at that point. We had the time to do it. But then uh, after that, just hiking, I think we hiked probably eight hours, made that eight and a half miles up. But that was a long ways in, man. Yeah, going. I mean, there were there were a lot of spots where it wasn't completely vertical, but it was pretty consistent uphill. I mean, like you're talking, you might be going forward a foot and a half for every foot in elevation you're gaining. And... I mean, it was it was exhausting to say the least. Picking our spots to stop and take a break, rehydrate, you know, get a small snack, and then you know, give your legs a rest for five, ten minutes, and then keep going. We did that multiple times, and the whole time, obviously, we were looking for mountain goats. But yeah, getting up to that point. So, like, why don't we walk through how the hunt actually played out? Because those first few days of scouting, the whole idea was to find a mountain goat and then day one, make a play on that mountain goat. What, uh, yeah. what ended up happening? Um, well, we, I think the first mountain goat we saw was super low elevation and right. We we're only a half mile from the truck. I think probably <laughs> yeah. maybe a mile. I was like, that was really weird. But yeah, I, I, we stopped to take a break and I just looked behind me and I said, shoot, guys, there's a goat right there. And we tried to get a better look at it and he disappeared. But I think he must have been coming down and to get water or something. But it, that was not, we didn't see another mountain go anywhere near that elevation the rest of the week. No. Um, 
but after that we uh we scouted hard for that the day before season opened still and we never did see a a goat we could go after i think we saw quite a few of them across the valley and on the wrong uh on a mountain range that we really couldn't get up or at the time we didn't know how to get up to it um i guess we found a way but <laughs> that was uh that was the crazy adventure in itself just getting into goat country is tough say the least oh yeah that was that was the odd thing one i wasn't expecting to see so many mountain goats like we saw a ton of them throughout that trip it seemed like every day if we looked across this huge valley and sometimes we're looking over a mile away at these goats but i mean they're white and they're sticking out against gray rocks or dark rocks or even grassy meadows on the top of the mountain and we were seeing goats left and right but they were all so far away and it was like we we ended up actually having to drop back down to what probably 9,500 feet before we started our climb back up to over 12,000 again. Yep. Yeah. We had to go through that Valley and get to the other side. And that was, uh, that was a heartbreaker to know that we picked the wrong side of the Valley to begin with, but there wasn't a single go on. I think before the end of the week, we saw one pair on the, where we originally started. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it was the night it was opening day. And we had basically spent all of opening day getting over closer to these goats. And we finally did, got camp set up. And I don't know if it was opening day or if it was the second day when we looked across and back above that original lake that we camped at, there were goats up there. But we could have never seen them from where our camp was near the lake yep. because of how how many full summits there are on the mountains. Yep. Yeah, that was grueling the hike to the top, man. I just would that take us four hours and oh at least. Yeah, we were we were going straight up. I mean, this was this was a different level, completely off trail the whole time. Uh luckily we didn't get a ton of deadfall in there. We did get into a couple spots where for a couple hundred yards we were just climbing up and over trees the whole time. But yeah, I, I remember a lot of deadfall. <laughs> Well, really, I feel like I feel like most of the deadfall that we encountered, uh, I, I guess, may it might have been about half the trip or half yeah. that hike was deadfall. Yeah, we only the only time we were able to get away from it was when we got in those boulder fields. Yep, and that made for good hiking, but it was it's not easy to hike with 40, 50 pounds on your back, and on rocks that are shifting and moving and big holes in between them or, or having to take steps, you know, to step two feet up instead of a nice little step that you'd like to take when you're gaining elevation. But when you're hopping from boulder to boulder, sometimes it was, we are climbing up boulders to keep moving around, you know? Oh yeah. And then, I mean, even getting close to the, like close to the waterfall at that one point, I mean, we were on our hands and knees just trying to climb straight up, and we were gaining probably two to three feet in elevation for every foot that we were moving horizontally. Yep. And I remember looking up, and I was only 
uh, horizontally, probably three feet from you, and you were probably 12 feet above me, and you were starting to slide. And I mean, we had our hands and boots and knees in this nasty, muddy moss, just trying to get up next to this waterfall. And we're like, dude, I don't know if we're ever going to make it up this. We were sliding backwards. Yeah, I got stuck and I lost the foot off my shooting sticks and that was a mess there. Remember, I remember when we were coming out, there was one place where we had to slide down on our butts like 15 feet and we tried to take the same path and come to find out we missed it. Oh, we missed it big time. But there was a point where we were like, man, if we go down here, are we going to get back out of this? And I... I remember like getting to the bottom and going, man, we, maybe we should have stayed up there and <laughs> paralleled this a little bit before we did. It ended up being all right, but man, it got treacherous for probably 60 or 70 yards. Oh where yeah. Every, every time we went down, I was thinking we're going to have to climb right back up to stake thing. Yep. Well, I, yeah. so a couple of things like really stuck out to me. One is when we were first talking about going out and doing this mountain goat hunt, you had talked to your taxidermist and he said something to you along the lines of I've been on, I think you said I've been on three mountain goat hunts and almost died on two of them. And when you told me that, I was like, Holy crap, dude, I don't know what we're about to get into, but I'm not, I'm not about to die over a mountain goat. That's for sure. And we got out there and seeing the terrain, I mean, like these spots that the, the goats will be hanging out, right underneath a 13,800 foot cliff or mountaintop. And they're only a hundred feet from the top of it on terrain that there's no chance a human could walk on. I'm like, Oh dude, what have we gotten into or walking up a scree field for a mile and a half on boulders, the size of Volkswagens, like (laughs) hearing, hearing the rock slides coming down in the Canyon that we're camped in. But on the other side, Geez, like it's it's no joke, man. You got to know what you're doing out there. Yeah, yeah. It was so when I went back last year with Josh, uh, the first night we camped, we were camped under a tree that probably shouldn't have been. It was definitely a rough looking tree. It was uh, looking back at it the next morning, I was like, man, that was pretty dumb of us. You know, the things probably stood for two hundred years and beat just my luck that the day it breaks, I camped underneath it. <laughs> But it rained a bunch that night and it was thunder and lightning. And I I heard what I thought was crack of lightning and like rolling thunder. And it went on for like 45 seconds. And I was like, what the heck is that? And then when we were talking about it the next morning, we both decided it had to have been a rock slide. And like you said, I think they were, it was on the other side of the valley from us, but still we were camped right next to the Creek. So it probably wasn't more than two or 300 yards from us, Jeez! but it was, I definitely looked a lot closer after that of where we were going to camp and what was, what we deemed was a good campsite. (laughs) But in that, in that country, you don't, there's not a lot of flat ground to choose from. And, and so it's hard to find a good place to set up a camp and, and be in a safe spot also. Oh yeah. I mean, deadfalls and rock slides and everything you really got to watch out for. Yeah. The, the terrain of like finding the right spot to camp. Once we, once we left the Valley and started hiking up after those goats, 
I was like, dude, I haven't seen a flat spot for I don't know how long. Luckily, we got above tree line. We got up into this giant bowl, and it was real soft ground. Um, definitely a lot colder, but we did find a flat spot. And the only issue up there was finding water. And luckily, there was enough runoff coming down through that bowl where there were little pools of water that we could go and filter. Um, yeah, we got up there, and the first night we got up there, we were we were already seeing goats. Actually, on the hike up, we saw that nanny and the kid. Yep. Yep, that was a, that was a sweet little spot in that bowl. And remember that big buck we saw, too? Oh, man, there were some big mule deer here. <laughs> Dude. Holy cow. Well, that's because nobody would be crazy enough to go chase them way back <laughs> no. in there. Can yeah. you imagine packing out a whole, like a 200-pound mule deer out of that backcountry? Or oh, an man. elk. Like, we got into some elk sign up there, too. Like, when we were going over some of the deadfall, the elk, the smell of elk was so thick in there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're... But at that point, you're eight miles in in a wilderness area. So it's all, I, I suppose, with horses. But you wouldn't get horses up where we were at. No There's chance. no way. Um, there might be might be a way from the other side to kind of get up there. But you couldn't have done it the way that we went by any means. All that deadfall would have it broke their leg. You just shot your horse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no chance. We... So yeah, we got up there and I mean, we, we saw goats pretty quickly in the same bowl and I was kind of concerned because I was like, man, if we get up here, we didn't know what that bowl looked like from where we were. Uh, and so we got up there just hoping that we were going to find, find goats in it because once we actually got up there and set up camp, there was no way to get out of that bowl. I mean, just no way. No, no, they only put. Yeah, we had to leave the way we came, and that was the only way we were going to get out of there. Yeah, but luckily we found some we found some goats. Yeah, and uh, got a good night's sleep, and one after one, first thing the next morning. Yeah, yeah, found a, a what three and a half year old nanny that didn't have a uh, kid with her. It ended up being perfect for us because we'd seen some billies. But the billies that we laid eyes on, there was, those were the uh, mountain goats that you said there was no getting to. No chance. And if, if we would have shot one, they would have fallen off the cliff and rolled to the valley floor and there would have been nothing left of them. Or if they died where we saw them, we wouldn't have been able to get with them without climbing gear or a helicopter. Oh, yeah. Looking at some of those billies, like even if you did have a helicopter that could drop you off they would end up dropping you off and you wouldn't be able to move more than 10 feet from where they dropped you off. Like it's that nasty of country. I'm going to have to post some of the videos, like the videos I took of those two billies all the way at the top. I'll post some of those. So people get a good idea of what we're talking about and why we didn't go after them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was just like the moose. I I promised myself that there was no way I was going to shoot a nanny. And then after we only saw probably two or three billies and after seeing where they were at, we knew that they were untouchable. Yep. And, and then I think the hunt kind of turned to just looking for a nanny without a kid. I didn't want to shoot one that had a life dependent on it. 
Yeah. So when we finally got that one, it was, it was still in a spot where we weren't sure in the beginning, if we were going to be able to pursue it at all, because it had a, about 150 foot cliff below it. And we had to walk quite a ways just to make sure that we could hike around that cliff and get above it. And when we did, then it was a no brainer to take that shot, but she still almost fell over the edge. Dude, <laughs> the nerves, like that was the most nerve wracking thing watching you and, and those animals are tough. I'm telling you, I've, I've never given so much credit to a single animal in my life. Mountain goats are no joke. Uh, but yeah, she, she just wanted the edge of that cliff so bad. And the whole time, it's like every time we'd take our eyes off of her, she'd be 20 yards closer to the edge of that cliff. And we had to walk a long ways to get around and get to her. And I think where we, we finally ended up getting to her, you had run like sprinted over to grab onto her and pull her up away from the edge. And she was like three feet from that 150 foot cliff. Yep. If she'd have rolled over one more time, she'd have been at the bottom of it. Yep. Even, even when we drug her up and we were gutting her, I remember she'd just be sliding down the mountain. We'd have to stop and drag her back up again and get her back in. The, uh, you know, there's just no flat ground up there to be had. So, no, for the most part, I mean, I was sitting on my butt. I had to take my pack off because it was causing me to start sliding down. And we wedged our pack up in these tiny little cracks, like the only like 12 inches of flat space you could find out there. And then I remember I was just kind of almost laying on my back, digging my heels and holding on to her while you, while you processed her out. Yeah. That was, uh, geez, that was wild. And then, yeah, the, on the way out, like you said, sliding like uncontrollably, luckily you made it down to this tree and we were afraid we were going to get rim rocked right there in the woods. And you had made it to this tree and I, I'll never forget being on my butt with my pack dragging my, my heels dug in and both trekking poles and I'm sliding and I can't stop. And luckily you were already there, reached your hand out, grabbed me. And then we ended up hiking our way back down, but I don't know how many times I fell on the way out and <laughs> we'd stop and talk and, and just like, Hey, what do we actually do? if things go south right here, because one, you need to get out to help. But not only that, you have to be able to get back to the person. Like it would have just been, you got to have a plan. And I think, uh, our, our number one plan was using Josh's in reach device, but he ended up staying back and didn't actually pursue any of these goats with us. Yeah. Yeah, when we made our trek to the top, he stayed up and set up a base camp down below and and uh, caught a bunch of brook trout, had them ready for us when we got down. That was my, that was so good. But man, we worked our butts off. It it was a pain to get up there, but hiking out heavy was treacherous. Yeah, I mean there was times where I thought we were both going to end up at the bottom of the valley and broken legs and all kinds of stuff. So. Uh, like I said, there's uh, nobody else I want with me when I draw my goat or my sheep tag. <laughs> so clear your schedule. <laughs> Dude, I'll be there. You just got to give me a heads up. So for both of these hunts so far, you have not 
you haven't even told me you were putting in that year. You just did it and then called me when you drew it. So you got to give me more of a heads up next time. Well, next, uh, I hope by next year to have a, at least be applying for, a, have a unit picked and trying. See where we end up from there. Yeah, that'd be mm-hmm. awesome. And we're going to, we're doing an Alaska moose hunt soon. Okay. That is we're we're making it happen man we talk about we've been talking about that for five years now we're gonna have to just suck it up and make it happen um give give people some advice like that you wish you would have had leading up to this goat hunt if if say somebody draws and they're like hey what do i need to know what would you tell them in preparation in planning in strategy to help them be more successful um first of all neither the mountain goat or the moose were too hard of an animal to hunt when we really got into them the the hunting wasn't the terrible part it's the preparation and getting to them in the in the mountain goat example for sure um but you're saying the actual like senses of the animal they just didn't seem to care we were there yeah yeah neither one of them really has a natural predator because uh, a mountain goat's not that big or that tough, but they just live in a terrain that there's very few predators around. Um, getting up there and being prepared to live in the mountains for five days or eight days, I think is what about what we did the first time, right? Yep. Um, make sure you got the right gear, first of all, and, and definitely optics in that instance, because when we saw those billies on the top of that mountain, they had to be six miles away from us when we glassed them up. Oh, yeah. Um, make sure physically you're prepared for that. Um, also, mentally prepared. Been on a couple of mountain goat hunts now, and more than you versus the mountain goat, it's you versus the mountain. And you have to be able to beat the mountain, or you're never going to stand a chance to get a mountain goat. So mental toughness and just knowing that he's there and you're going to go find him is, is the tough part. I mean, it's easy to give up when you're <laughs> that far back in there and miserable and been kicking your own ass for three days. It's easy to say, hey, man, like this is as far as I'm going to make it. And you just have to have the mental toughness to say, nope, we got to keep going. And when we get up there, they'll be there, you know. Yeah, if you have any quit in you, mountain goat hunting is not the sport. Not at all. <laughs> like, and, and the only thing I could tell you, if if you don't think you have that, it is something that you can build. Like, you can, you can build your mental endurance or your mental toughness, and it's just by putting you yourself in positions that you don't want to be in and just grinding through it anyways. And so that might be like forcing yourself to do something that you don't want to do every single day, you know, detail your entire room, you know, go through and clean literally everything every single day for a week and you're going to hate it and you're not going to want to do it, but just push through the fact that you don't want to do it or do the physical side of it. Go and go and walk on a treadmill. And when you don't think you have any more in you do it for another 45 minutes. Yeah. And that is the only thing that I could say, like, you got to build that if you're going to be up there. If you're going to be hiking from, 
you know, 12,000 up to 13,800 feet every single day in pursuit of these mountain goats, you better not have any quitting you. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've definitely seen people that gave up on their way up the mountain. I mean, we were passing people already. Uh, so not when I was with you, but on the last time, man, we'd see people, they'd be hiking in and pass us and next day they're hiking out and they already said, forget this. And, uh, I don't blame them, but you have to be dedicated and to go to fill that tag. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that draw that tag and are unsuccessful and it's just simply because they've given up. It's not because they there weren't goats in the area because there's plenty of them there, but it is tough. Um, the mountain goat in particular, the unit, the particular part of the state that I got mine in, it, they were very tough to get from the valley floor to the top. And using Google Earth and Onyx and other satellite photos are a huge help for all the hunting that I do. I mean, between elk hunting, moose hunting, or mountain goat hunting, I use satellite photos for everything. They're very deceiving when it comes to elevation. <laughs> um, but we hiked into a valley that was loaded with goats, and we had no way of getting to them because of being cliffed out and rocked out the whole time. So just doing your best to pick apart that terrain like a map doesn't help you it's almost got to be a satellite photo and you've got to find a way to get to them um i think we could have been better off had we hiked further in and then got on that finger ridge that they were all on and then got on top of the ridge and walked back to them and we tried to do that this last year and man that was (laughs) That was a tougher hike in than what you and I did as far as just being on the trail was we didn't go near as far, but we gained the same amount of elevation in four miles is what you and I did in eight and a half. Jeez. When we got there, we were able to get up to the top and we had a pretty good path to the top without being cliffed out, but just, it took us, um, we didn't get to our final campsite until the third day. We were just wore out and exhausted after hiking and getting that much elevation and carrying all of our pack and everything on our back, all of it, all of it and just physical exhaustion, you know. It was yeah. uh it was one of those where also when you didn't want to when you know you only had an hour left of camping, if you found a good campsite, you'd have to just settle down an hour early because you knew that you weren't going to find another one in the next hour because there just wasn't that type of i mean it was so steep and so rough terrain yeah so that was part of it too um another thing i would say is uh catch some brook trout while you're there and and talk about a boost of confidence and just like the morale at camp Holy cow, that was awesome. Yeah, both at Moose Camp and at Mountain Goat Camp, we were catching and eating brook trout, and they are delicious. And it's a free meal when you get there. I mean, make sure that they're in there. Don't count on that. We still carried enough mountain houses and and snacks and stuff to last a week. But if you can get a good 
good uh, batch of brook trout. That's a great, free, easy meal up there. Oh, yeah. Um, what was that? A little little bumblebee pattern, Panther Martin? Yep. Yeah, yeah we were. That was awesome. We found a nice little pool that had to have 300 brook trout oh, in it. Oh, dude, the little, flo- or the little ice fishing rod. And, yeah, <laughs> bumblebee pattern. Oh, dude, it was like you toss that sucker in there and there's 30 fish chasing after it while you're reeling it back and it's just a matter of which one's going to grab it yeah yeah i think we ate brook trout twice on that mountain goat huh at least so good yeah and josh ate it a lot more than that yeah remember he caught one up at the lake too yeah he did that was a lot bigger the ones that were in the little creek were real small but they tasted great yeah they're fantastic um as far as other tips though man it's just do your best to figure out where you need to go and find a safe path to get there and it might be the long way around but i learned through that trek that you and i went on that just being in the rest of that valley aside from the one the one draw that we found that we could get up we were rocked out of 90% 90% of the habitat that we needed to get to. Yep. So finding good access and, and again, talk to people, talk to the locals. And um, I've even talked to some of the outfitters that are up there and they're not really particular on giving a lot of information away, but they can at least kind of help guide you in the right direction or let you know what kind of weather you're going to be dealing with and some other things to prepare. Yep. Yeah, and there's I mean there's mountain weather apps. I would definitely recommend having some type of emergency device going out there. Just be prepared. You don't yep. obviously you don't want it to happen, but you need to be prepared for the absolute worst to happen while you're out there. And uh yeah, no animals worth dying over, but you can get close. <laughs> oh man. There was definitely some times where I thought you and I got ourselves in over our head. And like I said, glad it was you that was there with me, bud. Oh, yeah. There, that's another thing. Uh, I told my wife when Josh drew the same tag last year. And she said, man, you're really going to take a week off to go help him. And I said, well, he did it for me. And not only that, I said, but this hunt is totally different than anything else that I hunt. And you have to be a real outdoorsman to go hunt those mountain goats and to camp out for seven days and carry everything you need on your back. And I said, man, this, this hunt literally separates the boys from the men. Yeah. And, and it's just an adventure like no other, you know, I mean, even when we elk hunt, we backpack in for a couple of days and stuff, but that's, it's a lot easier to do knowing you can get back to the side by side and, run all the way back to base camp and eat a fucking steak compared to, you know, your gourmet meal on a mountain go hunt is a six inch long brook trail. <laughs> <laughs> you got to work for those too. Oh, there's not a whole lot of comfort out there uh, no. in thinking about if things went South or like, Hey, we got to get out of here because the weather, well, you've got an entire day and maybe a night on the trail before you make it back to the car. Uh, and 
Yeah, just be ready for everything. The terrain is unforgiving. The The mountain couldn't care less that you're there. It's going to do its thing no matter what you are. And, yeah, crossing over beaver dams or log jams on the river, hiking up next to waterfalls where, I mean, literally if it was two degrees steeper, we wouldn't have made it. Um, man, it. I look back on it and I'm like, that was, we did a lot of stupid, not even stupid, like it was necessary in order to get the job done, but it was dangerous and I want to go back and do it again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, one thing I will tell you is do not tell your family what you're getting ready to do. Cause oh, I yeah. made the mistake of telling my mother that um, the last guy that died hunting in Colorado died hunting a mountain goat in that unit. <laughs> and she was terrified about me going, but I was like, man, this is the adventure I signed up for. This is what I'm here to do. Um, there was actually three guys last year that got caught up in a rock slide and had to be rescued oh, in, in that same unit. Um, I think they caught in a rock slide and fell off of like a 15 foot drop. I think they had some broken bones and I don't, I don't think anybody was hurt too seriously, but they definitely didn't come out on their own power. I think they brought in horses and search and rescue came and took them off the mountain. Dude, that could have, um, I mean, looking back, like that could have easily been us. We were in those positions and it was, like I said, it wasn't from stupidity. It wasn't like, Hey, we were intentionally getting ourselves in these precarious situations, but just to get where the, where the mountain goats are, like, you've got to put yourself in those boulder fields where the rock slides happen, where mudslides could happen, or a flash flood could wipe you out in a second, you know, like, yep. it's, it's a different level for sure. Yeah. The, the taxidermist, the only story he told me about one of his near death experiences was crossing a scree field and it broke loose underneath him. And he, uh, was laying with his head uphill and rolling down. And all he said he could do was just roll sideways. And he said he rolled about two or three times and then ended up hitting like the only patch of grass. And it was scree fields on both sides of him. And he hit this little six foot wide patch of grass. And it was the only thing that stopped him from ending up on the bottom of the mountain. Jeez. That's a, those are, big mountains there i yep. mean i remember being on top of those and just when a plane flies over you can almost see people sitting in their seats <laughs> through the windows waving eye level there. at them yeah yeah they're they're no joke well dude this is this is awesome i love i mean every time we get together i feel like we relive some of these hunts but i think it's going to be uh, really enjoyable for the podcast listeners to to hear about some adventures, get some tips and tricks, and know what to expect if they were to draw one of these tags. Yeah, yeah, you're. Uh, hopefully, you'll draw your moose this year, huh? Yeah, I I hope so. I've got a whopping five points, so uh, you know it's possible. Well, you're in the running. Yeah. Um, well, to give you a fair heads up, I applied for my elk hunt. So if you I did. draw that tag, I'm going to want your help too. Oh, archery or a rifle? No, nope, rifle. Rifle, so. What season? Uh, it is early October. Okay. Um, I was going to say, you better not be taking up my second rifle season. I've been looking forward to coming back to elk camp with you guys. 
Nope. Um, second rifle I, I put in for uh, one of the elite uh, trophy units here in Colorado. Oh. So I'm, I'm trying to burn 21 years of points on this. Oh. But that's, oh, that's I just thing. got super excited, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, knowing your track record, we're going to be elk hunting in early, in early October. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited about it for sure. It's uh, it's the one I've been saving up 21 years points for. And that's another piece of advice I'd love to give people is if you ever want to do it, start building points now. Yeah. Uh, I I only get to, or I've only been lucky enough to draw these tags here in Colorado because I was disciplined enough to start young and to be consistent with it throughout. I never once missed a year of points on my moose. And I wouldn't have drawn the tag without any points. So you just have to start applying. You have to bite the bullet. You're going to spend 50 or 100 bucks a year per species. But I think that weeds out some of the people that aren't going to do it. And well, just get rid, of one, get rid of one streaming service, you know, like get rid of Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or, you know, Paramount Plus. And right there, you with those monthly payments you can apply for the three big game or the three trophy animals you know it's all about priorities and i said i will forever be putting in for uh the colorado animals and you know i stopped after the successful mountain goat hunt one i didn't care for the meat and so i was like i'm not gonna do it if i if i didn't like the taste of the meat but um moose definitely still on the table same with bighorn and yeah i don't know you got it you just got to start and i need to be more disciplined in putting in for other states because i've got kind of all my eggs in the colorado basket right now but i need to start branching out and try to get my get my success rate up if i if i start applying for more places yeah that's i haven't uh, been applying for other states and i should but the nice part about Colorado is they've got all of them, you yeah. know, I mean, they're the good majority of, of the, I don't know. I mean, there's plenty of other States with Buffalo and things like that. that Colorado doesn't have, but you get to hunt three of the big ones and never as a resident of Colorado, it's pretty affordable to do it for a resident. I know they get expensive, a non-resident level, but also, when I was first putting in for these points, it was only costing me three year, three bucks a year per species. Dang. They've changed that and prices went up, but I was doing it, well, 21 years now. I've been putting in for elk hunts. And if you add it up, it was, I probably don't have, uh, I think for 15 years, it was three bucks a point. So 45 bucks. And then... The last six years, it's been seven bucks a point. So I don't have uh, $80 in points. It's not like it's uh, outrageous to, to do that. And, and if you learn the point system right, you can be putting in for a preference point and still hunt a second rifle like we do. Yeah. Every year that I hunt, every, I've killed many elk, and, and I'm still getting a preference point that year before I go on my elk hunt. So building points is the way that you get to hunt these special tags and get the opportunity. And a lot of people just don't know about it. And you can 
you can call any of the DNRs or uh, conserva- uh, conservation groups and get just uh, one of their uh, the brochures for hunting big game and learn all the rules and learn the tricks of the trade. Um, I mean, there's a, a lot of stuff that a lot of adventures that I would have never gotten to go on if it weren't for my dad and my older brother figuring it out, showing me the ropes. And then I've learned from there what, what I need to do, you know? Yeah. No, that, um, makes, that makes sense. Dude, I wouldn't be where I'm at today and had the adventures if it wasn't for you passing that same information on to me. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if you're young and you dream of someday hunting a mountain goat or a bighorn, you need to get on it and build those points right away. Cause there are, these are a young man's hunt. I, I think if I, if I were to try to draw another mountain goat again, I would probably be about 50 to 55 by the time I draw it again. And I don't know that I'll be able to do it by then. Not, not in the country that we were in. That's probably, hopefully I'll be at a place where I can hire a outfitter to bring me in on horses and <laughs> help me out. <laughs> you might be able to do it that way, but carrying six days worth of food and gear on your back and hiking. I think, I think on my mountain goat hunt, at the end of the hunt, we figured out that we'd hiked like 47 miles in, what was that, five or six days? Yeah, something like that. And, so and if you want to do it, man, you got to get out there and you got to do it while you're young and in shape to do it. Yeah. There's yeah, I mean, always- you'd have to be in the top 0.5th percentile uh, as a 50 year old to be able to do these hunts. You know, like, yeah. I, I don't know many people that are even in their mid forties that could pull this same thing off. Yep. So yeah, yeah definitely be putting in now. Yep. Build those points and, and do your research and find a unit and just start going in on it. Once, once you find where you want to go every year, just put in for it and see what you get here. I've got one last question before we hop off and in the recording, what happens if I draw my moose tag and you draw your elk tag. Oh man. <laughs> what a predicament that would be, huh? Oh, I think we would just have to go make it happen early on one of them and then go after the next one. And we'll just have to, I don't know, man. Cause the moose tags first two weeks of October. Yeah. I think it opens the third, right? Yeah. Um, well, then we probably have to go hunt an elk first because I think my opening day is the first if I were to draw. I, right, I so think you've got I'm, two days to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't leave us a lot of time for scouting, does it? No, we just get out there early to scout. No, well, we, we at least know where those are, huh? Oh, yeah. oh dude, you got all kinds of time because you get to archery hunt it, right? Or not? Oh, that's oh. right. Yeah. No, it is a... It is an archery, muzzleloader, and rifle, so I can do it with any of them. So maybe that's what I'll do, because I would much rather shoot one with a bow, and so I'll try to get one with a bow before I do anything else. Yeah. So I think if if that's the tag that you drew or that you applied for, I was just looking here at the book, and you have uh, like the whole month of September to hunt them with a bow. 
Oh, dude. Yep. That's the plan. I'll get mine done in September and then we'll focus on your elk in October. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fantastic for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll still owe me because we'll that'll be an even wash. <laughs> yeah, we'll still owe you two more. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you hopping on and, and taking the time tonight to hang out and share some information with everybody. Um, hopefully it makes them more successful. Uh, for people that want to find you or follow you on social media, see what you're up to, maybe see some of the pictures from these hunts, where can they go? Um, I'm really only on Facebook. And so you can just look up Sean Lashinsky on Facebook. I've got a few pictures there, but I don't really post a whole lot. I'm not really active on social media, but um, there's, uh, there's a picture of the moose, I'm sure, on there. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I'll, be sure, I'll be sure to add some of that stuff on social media here over the next few days as this episode goes live and uh people can see what it's all about yeah is tony ever gonna finish our movie dude i have no idea <laughs> no idea i need to get on him about that he's probably yeah. like oh i nah yeah he already wrote it off I'm that's sure. been a couple dude that's been almost three years it's gonna be three years this year yeah four no surely not yeah it was 2018 when we did it yeah so july makes four years since we scouted holy cow yeah i'll have to get on him about that yeah your taxidermist had your stuff done before he did so uh, we'll be sure to give him a hard time about it well thanks again man i definitely appreciate it no problem man let me know uh any other time i can be on here with you i love talking to you sounds good all right bud and that is going to wrap it up for today's episode i hope you guys enjoyed that one because i always have a good time chatting with sean and he's one of my closest friends one of my best hunting buddies. In fact, I don't think there's anybody that I have been with where me or the other person have killed as many big game animals as it's happened with Sean. So um, I'm looking forward to going and seeing him here in like a week. I'm going to be in person with him. We're probably going to record another episode diving fully into elk hunting, especially for over-the-counter elk hunters. Like him and his family found this unit. They've they've put in the work. They've put in the years and had some great years, some not so great years throughout, gosh, a dozen plus maybe. And we're going to dive fully into the gear, the strategy, camp setup, food, you name it. We're going to talk all about it, but I'm just pumped to do that in person with him because it wasn't since we actually recorded the Mountain Goat episodes on the Nomadic Outdoorsman podcast like we did those just on my phone up at elevation. So if any of you guys are like, man, I want to hear this as it plays out, we did a nightly recap of the hunt. And so you can go check that out on the Nomadic Outdoorsman. I probably should have looked up which episodes that was, but I think it's really, really early on. I mean, I'm talking in the first 15 to 20 episodes. So go, go check that out. And uh, I think you'll really enjoy it, hearing it as it actually plays out but hopefully you guys are getting out and you have tags that you're looking forward to drawing soon or you know new adventures that you're going on because there's so many opportunities to go experience cool country to chase after big animals small animals fish you name it there's just stuff everywhere i mean everywhere you turn there's cool opportunities to be outside in god's creation so until next time get out there and chase a new adventure